Okay, welcome everyone to the first part of this two-part series titled How to Blow the Shofar, a tutorial. It's my pleasure to introduce and welcome back uh, to Drisha, Rabbi Moshe Silver. A little bit about our speaker today. As many in our Drisha community will remember, Rabbi Silver was a founding member of the Drisha Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur Minyanim and has been about Tokea for about 45 years. Rabbi Silver and his wife, Risa Green, likewise a core member of the Drisha Minyan, they made Aliyah in 2018 and they currently live in Yerushalayim. Rabbi Silver has uh, run a Drisha alumni Minyan in Yerushalayim for the past two years. And this year, because of the coronavirus, as many of you may have read about in the Jerusalem Post, uh, he launched an initiative to send chauffeur blowers throughout the city of, of Yerushalayim to make sure that no one will miss out on this important mitzvah. Uh, he currently teaches at Yeshiva Hashivenu uh, Hashi on Hartzion. And he continues to write both fiction and Torah commentary. His forthcoming book, The Weight of Gold, is a unique approach to studying the weekly Torah portion for lessons of personal growth and social justice. So on behalf of all of us at Drisha, it's a real pleasure to have Rabbi Silver with us again. So without further ado, Rabbi Silver. Thank you, Eunice. And thank you, everybody, for joining. And um, just a quick show of hands. Everybody hears me okay? Yes, okay, good, thank you. Um, I'm going to encourage everybody to please share your videos if it doesn't make you too uncomfortable because um, we're gonna wanna do some interacting on some of this. Um, also, I ask for your indulgence with my own um, technical foibles, let's say. If you have any comments to make, I'd much rather that you chime in rather than typing something on the chat. You type it on the chat, there's a very, very good likelihood that I will never see it. Um, so if you're gonna type something on chat, it means it's gonna be kept a secret. Um, and with that, I will start by um, doing what you're all gonna be able to do pretty soon. It was easy, right? Okay. So let me ask for a show of hands. Anybody here who's never actually blown a shofar before or who tried it maybe once and knows that you don't know how to do it? Anybody? Okay, we have a couple. Okay, so you all have like a little bit of familiarity with this, or most of you have a little bit of familiarity with this. Uh, I would like to start by um, giving some basics about the whole experience of blowing the shofar, and I guess some really basic important technique things. Uh, I will tell you that there's actually, there are really actually only two things that you need to do to blow the shofar successfully. And I guarantee that you all can blow the shofar successfully because I can do it. And if I can do it, I guarantee that you can do it. The first thing you need to do to blow the shofar successfully is you need to put your lips together and go like this. Okay, so everybody, one, two, three. I can't hear you. Okay. And the second thing that you need to do is practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice. And if you do those two things, I guarantee that you'll be able to blow the shofar like nobody's business. Okay. So I will tell you my own shofar story, which goes back yay verily, many, many years, 45 plus years. Um, I had just come back to America. I uh, come back to the Upper West Side in search of my, you know, uh, getting, getting fully, uh, uh, getting in touch with my Yiddish, my Yiddish kite, if you will. And um, Rabbi Riskin sent me to learn at what was then called the Lincoln Square Yeshiva with Rav David Silber. Um, Rabbi Eliezer Diamond and a number of other, uh, at that point, you know, young and brilliant teachers, and now they're still young, but a little less young and a little more brilliant. 
Um, and Rabbi Eliezer Diamond said to me, well, you know what? We're going to have a minion for Rosh Hashanah. You know, you should pray with us. And I said, oh, that's great. And he said, yeah, it's really good because I daven this and so-and-so davens that and this person does this and this person that. And I said, oh, that's great. Who blows the shofar? And he said, actually, we don't have anybody to blow the shofar. Me, knowing absolutely nothing because, you know, I grew up in a totally secular household. I said, oh, well, I have a shofar. He said, okay, you can blow the shofar. And so... You know, listen, there are bigger things that have happened from smaller beginnings, but this was a pretty small beginning. So I took my shofar and I said to Rabbi Diamond, I said, listen, uh, I'm going to blow the shofar. You tell me how it sounds. And I will tell you that I can't even blow anymore the way that it sounded when I first blew it. But I took my shofar and I went. So what do you think? He said. All sounds are kosher, which is true. Bear that in mind, okay? There's nothing, there's no wrong sound as long as you can sustain the tone. Anyway, so he said, all sounds are kosher. Practice. Now, this was early in the year. It was June, which was a good thing because I then, I took it upon myself to practice and to become a real shofar blower. And so for a half hour or more every day, I stood in my apartment and I went, and it got to the point where I was getting some pretty nasty looks from some of my neighbors. I don't blame them. Anyway, that went on for, I can't tell you how many weeks. I felt like a really, really long time. And one day I was working away at it, slaving over a hot shofar, when all of a sudden it went, and it shocked me. I had no idea where that sound came from. I tried it again. Well, and as they say, the rest is, you know, still practice. Okay. The fact is, that, and then I, the next day I took the shofar and I blew it for Rabbi Diamond. I said, so, uh, Rabbi Eliezer, Tell me how it's going now. And I blew the shofar and he looked, he listened to it and he said, all sounds are kosher, but some are more kosher than others. And there's the answer. So those of you who are of a certain age or who have a penchant for certain uh, types of Hollywood movies will remember a famous scene where Lauren Bacall says to Humphrey Bogart, you just put your two lips together and you blow. And that's really what it is. But if you start out going like this, what you want to do is you want to work on tightening and tightening and tightening, strengthening your lips. Because if you blow with loose lips, you'll get not much of anything. If you blow with tighter lips, You'll get something out of it, okay? So let's just talk a little bit about like basic, how to get your lips in shape, basic posture, basic breathing, and how to practice. And if we leave today with nothing more than just how to practice and get ourselves to that next level, God willing, of actually making a sustained sound. Remember the sound, does you don't have to be ready to play in the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Okay, one of the keys is the instrument that you choose. If you have a shofar already, it may be the right instrument for you. It may not be. What's going to be in, what's going to be determining factor for you is this part right here, the mouthpiece, because if the mouthpiece fits your lips in a relaxed manner. I mean, you can blow that all day and not get tired. But a lot of shofars have oddly shaped mouthpieces, a little kind of an angular slit or a teardrop shape or a pear shape. Um, and a lot of them are cut very, very small. And it's not your fault if you have a hard time getting a sound out of it, okay? You need to, you need to get a shofar that will work for you. 
So the shofar that I've used the last couple of years since we came here, um, the story is that I found a, a shofar maker in a bomb shelter in a basement in uh, in Bayit Vagan in Yerushalayim. And um, understanding why he had to make them in the bomb shelter, because he had to keep the door closed, because people were going down there and blowing the shofar at all hours of day and night, and the neighbors would have thrown him out otherwise. Um, so I went there and spent about an hour blowing almost every single shofar that he had, and I was about to buy one. When I turned, and this was lying on the table, and I wondered why I hadn't seen it. I picked it up. This is actually very heavy. Um, the shape of the mouthpiece is, accommodates well to my lips. And the first time I blew it, I knew. So those of you who are Harry Potter fans, you know, like the wand chooses the wizard, the shofar really does choose the bal or balat tokea. You need to do not feel bad if the shofar that you got from your from your zaidi or that somebody gave you as a barabat mitzvah gift or whatever. If you have a hard time blowing it, okay. Needless to say, in the days of uh, coronavirus, it's going to be more challenging to go someplace to try out a bunch of shofars and buy one that works for you. But if you're having trouble blowing the shofar, it might not be you. It might actually be Everybody's everybody's embouchure, everybody's lip positioning is different. Everybody's breath is different. And each shofar, because it comes from a living animal, is shaped differently. And so you need to have, you need to find that right fit, that happy marriage between the lip and the mouthpiece. Um, I'm gonna give you a couple of what I consider the most important pointers for practicing. Um, First of all, there are three different sounds that we're going to make when we blow the shofar, right? There's the long sound, the takia. There's the shvarim, which is three shorter sounds. The trua, which is the shortest sound of all, which you should do at least nine individual beats. The sounds should be precise. They don't have to be a particular volume or whatever. You should try to keep it as even as possible. And you should be able, the listener should be able to tell the difference between one sound and the next. getting fancy because what happens to me for example when I try to get fancy is sometimes I end up slurring from one sound into the next and that's not what we want to do. We're going to keep it simple, stick to basics. Um, so the first thing is work on that. Keeping your lip, pressing lips together as hard as you can. It helps by the way to put a little pressure when you put the shofar against your lips to press it in a little bit, that helps to kind of seal it and give you a better grip on the mouthpiece. If you start losing teeth, you're pressing too hard. Breath control, very, very, very important. If you are, anybody here either a singer or play a wind or brass instrument? If you are, then you know something about the basics of breath control. Okay. I'm going to give you what I've discovered, what I found to be the single most valuable breathing breath development system that I've ever come across. This is something that was taught to me uh, actually by the husband of my voice teacher in Highland Park, who is a guitarist, but who also suffered for most of his life with asthma and got himself off of asthma medication by doing this particular breathing um, system, if you will. Um, the system was devised by 
the whole story, which I'll make it very brief. It was devised by a Ukrainian doctor named Konstantin Butiko, who was working uh, basically in, in the ward with terminal cases. And he observed that as people started to come towards the end of, you know, in their final hours and minutes, they would hyperventilate. And he wondered what the effect of hyperventilation was or the cause, if there's a cause effect. So he started doing studies on healthy people and on himself, hyperventilating and, and, seeing, and, and seeing how that affected the breath. And what he discovered was a very simple process, which I'm gonna show you the very, the very basics of right now, um, which when I started doing it in a matter of really just like a few weeks, maybe a month and a half, it dramatically increased my lung capacity. It also increased my vocal range as a singer. Um, and it adds tremendously to breath control, which is a critical, which is a critical component for successful shofar blowing. So the basics of this, and I urge you all to write this down, take a look on the internet. Butico, B like Bravo, U T like Thomas, E Y K O, the Butico Butico breathing uh, method. There are all kinds of resources on the internet. There, there are you can sign up for like a year long course and become a certified Butico teacher, or whatever. Um, I the basics of what I learned in literally a ten minute conversation has stood me in good stead. It also has helped me to not be so susceptible to things like bronchitis um, and uh, allergies and so on and so forth. So the, the, basic, the basic concept is, you know, most of us, when we think about doing a breathing exercise, we think of breathing in as much as we can and maybe breathing as much as we can and holding it and then breathing out slowly, right? The Butico method is kind of the opposite of that. It's, first of all, nothing should be forced. It's very simple. You breathe in through your nose and breathe out through your nose. You breathe in, you breathe out. What we do, though, is we breathe out to a longer count than we breathe in. So really, it's the opposite of what most of us would, would consider to be like a normal lung, lung capacity, if you will, breathing exercise. And you breathe in like to a count of three, breathe out to a count of four, breathe in to a count of three, breathe out to a count of four or five, breathe in to a count of three, breathe out to a count of four or five, and then hold the breath out, not in. Holding the breath in, by the way, does put a little pressure on the heart. Holding it out does not, okay? Holding it out has the effect of increasing lung capacity, has the effect of, I'm not a scientist and I don't, I, you know, I can't give you back all the science behind it, but uh, advocates of this, of this uh, technique say that it actually helps to cleanse the blood on a molecular level because it, re it re, um, rebalances the pH uh, in the blood and throughout, um, throughout your system. Um, I find it just very, very helpful for general well-being. And as I said, it's tremendously increased my, my breath capacity and uh, added to my vocal range. So it's very simple. You should, none of it should be a strain, but you breathe in, Breathe out and hold it out. If you faint, you've done it. You've held it too long. Okay. Um, if you if you have a if you like to walk for exercise, if you have a dog and you take your dog out for a walk, count the steps and breathe with the steps. Breathe in as you take three steps. Breathe out as you take four or five steps. Breathe in as you take three steps. Breathe out as you take four steps. Breathe in as you take three steps. Breathe out as you take four steps and hold it out for the next four steps. Breathe in for three, breathe out for four. Do this for 10, 20 minutes a day. If, 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 if my experience is anything to go by, it will change your life. If you have suffered from seasonal allergies, if like me, you suffered from getting bronchitis every year, come around this time of year, um, it's, it really has changed my, my health picture tremendously. And like I said, increased my breath capacity. Breath control is incredibly important to blowing the shofar. You need to be able to sustain. I urge you to practice standing up. When you blow the shofar, you have to stand up. You have to stand straight. By the way, you're, you're not as I, you know, if you have one of these, for example, it's not so easy to hold it up in the air. 
but you're not allowed to lean on anything while you're blowing the shofar. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna crit, crit, criticize you if you do, um, but I'm giving you over the way that the that the rabbis and the minyanim will will tell you if you're gonna blow shofar for a minyan, you can't lean. Obviously, you have to stand. The bell should be pointing upwards, so it does take a certain amount of physical stamina to hold the shofar, whether it's a long, a larger one like this or even a smaller one. It takes a certain amount of physical stamina to stand there and hold it. I encourage you to stand in front of a mirror because you want to see, you want your posture to be straight. If any, any deviation from that straight line has the effect of collapsing your lungs and your windpipe, okay? You want a clear column of air coming straight into the instrument. The instrument is a resonating box, right? The air and passing through your pursed lips is what makes the sound. But the sound, as the old song says, it comes out here. So if you're bent over, you're going to have a hard time getting a clear sound. If you're standing straight, that holding yourself, holding your posture erect and breathing from the diaphragm, which we'll get to in just a moment, actually makes this less exhausting, right? Those of you who have studied voice or wind instruments, you understand about breathing from the diaphragm and not from the chest, right? You want the breath to come in here and out through contraction in the lower, in the lower part of the abdomen and in the, in the diaphragm, not, right? Because chest breathing also tires you out. It's less efficient, you get a lot less wind, and you get tired much faster, okay? So all of this is obviously important, especially for anybody who aspires to blow shofar in a minion. But my objective here, Bezrat Hashem, is for you to be able to go home and blow shofar for yourselves and for your family on Rosh Hashanah. So let's... Just one more, one more item right now. Let's just talk about the basics of how the sounds, the order of the sounds, okay? There is tiki'ah, shvarim, tru'ah, and tiki'ah. And you should each have received a, or you will receive a cheat sheet that has them all written out. I posted um, it in the chat. Okay. The cheat sheet has a link in the chat. If, um, if you'd like, I can post it one more time. Uh, while I'm interrupting, <laughs> rudely, I apologize. Um, there was a question actually that was posed to me um, privately. Was the, what was the breathing method that you, that you mentioned before? What was the name of it? Butiko. B like Bravo. U-T-E-Y-K-O. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, I highly recommend, even if you're not going to blow the shofar, I highly recommend that you check it out. Um, I found it to be, uh, like I said, it not very difficult to do, not very challenging, not physically, uh, not physically hard, but uh, really did change my life. Okay, uh, you will each, you'll each have access to one of these sheets. So in in shofar ease, it's tikiya shvarim through tikiya. We call that. Tashrat. The next set of sounds is tikia shvarim tikia. We call that tashat, and the last is tikia trua tikia. So instead of calling it tatatat, we call it tarat. Okay. Um, the basic, uh, the 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 basic uh, requirement to blow shofar to be yotze blowing shofar on Rosh Hashanah is one complete set. So it's three times tashrat three times tashat, three times tarat, ending with tiki'ah gedola. In fact, there's an argument that the tru'ah is the sound that's the oraita required, that's biblically required on Rosh Hashanah, because it's referred to as yom tru'ah. I'm not going to get into the fine points of, you know, which sound is more important. They're all important. Um, and so just to understand how how we want how, how we want to to uh, parcel these out, the tikia that brackets whether it's the shvarim trua the shvarim or the trua by itself 
the tekiah on either end, each one is required to be at least as long as what comes in between. Clear? So if you're going to be blowing for yourself, you're going to be counting for yourself, you're going to be either looking at a watch with a second hand or at a digital watch with, that's counting off the seconds, or just kind of tapping your foot to keep time and counting the beats, okay? So you want the tekiahs in the first one where you have the shvarim and true in between, the tekiah has to be longer because you have to, each tekiah has to be as long as what comes in between it. So the shvarim trua is going to go pop, 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 pop. The tekiah has to be count the beats, right? So count, like, let's count shvarim trua. Shavarim trua, wa one, two, three, four, five, six, tekiah, wah. How am I doing? Okay. Um, when you when we do the tash the tashat and the tarat, where we only have the shvarim or the trua in between, the tekiahs can be shorter, because now you only have to you only have to be as long as what came in between again. So if it's tekiah, shvarim, tekiah, it's shvarim. So your tekiah can be tam. Okay. You're covered. Tekiah gadola, knock yourself out. Um, although uh, many, uh, many, Let's say that the rabbis that I've that I've spoken with about this, the people who paskened tekiah gedolas for me, have basically said, uh, well, "That's what they call it. <laughs> Just do what you can." Right? In other words, there's no absolute requirement for the tekiah gedola. We like it to be the longest of the tekiahs that you that you've blown during the session, but um, blowing shofar is physically demanding, and especially if you've not been practicing. Uh, you know, my personal shita for the last Baruch Hashem 45 years is on the 10th of Av, I start practicing and I blow 200 to 300 kolot a day. Um, on Rosh Hashanah in Minyan, we blow 100. Okay, so it's like, you know, it's like running a 10K every day so that I can run, you know, 50-yard dash sort of thing. But you need to build up your stamina. You need to really build up the lip. Um, I bet you that each one of you, even now, if you haven't been practicing, if you work at it for the next two weeks, I bet you each one of you will be able to blow these 30 kolot for yourselves and for your families or for your neighbors on Rosh Hashanah. But you may not be able to blow 100 for a minyan and then go to a local hospital or then go to visit you know, people who haven't been able to get out or what have you. Um, it's a tremendous bracha to do this and it's a it's a tremendous challenge and I'm so delighted that you're that you're all here um, participating in this. So now so I consider one of my great strengths and tonight may be just a small example of it. One of my great strengths, and I mean this seriously, is that I don't have a problem making a fool of myself in public. So I want to invite anybody who does have a shofar who wants to try it out to unmute yourself. Okay, we have uh, Shelly Glombeck. Yeah. Are you volunteering? Volunteering. Great. Just start? Go for it. Excellent. Seriously? Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so have you been practicing? Yes. All right. And are you, are you uh, actually planning to blow shofar this Roshana? This is the first year I'm blowing mea kolo. Wow. Till now I've been helped out with people that uh, couldn't make it to shul, but this yep. year... Uh, in the, in in because of Corona, 
Uh, I'm in a private minion with where we're doing a hundred. Beautiful. Uh, so let me ask you, I see your background there. Are you actually in Yerushalayim? I wish. I wish. I'm, I'm currently in the five towns. In the five towns. Okay. Baruch Hashem. So I'm in Yerushalayim. Baruch Hashem. I'm, I can um, be Makana. Which is a good thing. So maybe... Oh, by the way, uh, Rabbi Silver, do you know Anne? Uh, my wife's maiden name is Moed. If that means anything to you. I don't know. She just came in and... Where do I know the family from? She's Upper West Side. Okay. She was Upper West Side. Weren't we all at one point? Uh, no. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a Crown Heights boy. Okay. Me too. I'm going there today. All right. My, my daughter's moving there. Okay. Well, let's take this offline, I think. Okay. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, okay. So who's, okay, who's next? Who's our next volunteer? Barry, is that you volunteering? Yes. Do you hear me? I don't know if, my, if I'm... Absolutely. Okay. Go for it. Yeah, I think we lost the audio a little bit. Oh, sorry. But you're, you know, you got a good start. You got a good start. I would, I would say that it sounds to me like you need to have a little more, maybe a little more pressure against your lips. It sounds to me like there's a little bit of, a little bit um, loose lips sink shofars, a little bit of maybe too much air um, escaping. Sounds to me like you're doing a little bit of this. Instead of, again, blowing the shofar ideally should not be each, each blow should not be a tremendous effort. It takes a lot of effort to get to the point where it's not tremendous effort. But part of it, a big part of it is proper technique, is keeping yourself upright. And you got actually, I know it's, it sounds, it's easier said than done. You actually have to be relaxed. You have to be relaxed. You can't be all tense. And of course, you're, we're all very nervous when we blow the shofar, right? But, you want all the tension to be right here between the lip and the mouthpiece. Who's next? Just one question. We were in Tina and, and the rabbis have, have required that there be a net be put over the chauffeur because of COVID. Yes. How, how is that done? How does that affect the blowing? And physically, how would you suggest doing that? Okay, so that's a very, very important point. Thank you. So first of all, I, I should have said this disclaimer before, but this is a perfect time for it. I am not poskening for anybody, and I'm not giving health advice to anybody. That said, I know that the OU put out an advisory uh, for specifically for minyanim that are meeting indoors, but okay. Um, they have said that you can put a surgical mask over the bell of the shofar because it does not change the sound. Um, and there is concern, particularly for minyanim that are meeting indoors, particularly for people who might not be appropriately socially distancing, that um, there may be, uh, you know, spread of, of droplets or, or aerosols or whatever coming from the shofar. So the way you do it is you take the shofar, you put the mask over the bell of the shofar and, you know, put a rubber band around it. Um, and the sound doesn't really change. Doesn't really change the sound much. Um, for what it's worth, and again, I'm not giving anybody health advice. I'm not poskening. I mean, I've been blowing shofar at an outdoor minion, where everybody stands, you know, three or four meters apart. I have not been covering the shofar. Nobody suggested that I should. If they tell me to, you know, whatever, I'll do it if it makes them comfortable. Um, one of the other Balitokea that I know here, also a former Upper West Sider, uh, said that there's a uh, medical doctor, medical researcher who Dobbins in his minion, and he did like a little experiment of like breathing on a mirror and coughing on a mirror and then blowing the shofar on the mirror. And blowing the shofar on the mirror, he said, you know, there was almost no moisture that came, that came from the shofar to the mirror. By the way, one of the things that you'll notice is after you blow the shofar for a few minutes, it gets kind of moist. Okay, uh, if you play a wind instrument, 
you'll see like trumpet players are always shaking their trumpets out, for example, in between playing, right? Because the breath condenses inside the instrument. So a lot less moisture is gonna, is gonna come out of the bell of the shofar than is gonna come out of your mouth when you're singing, for example. So I think it's more important, my own take is more important to wear a mask if you're singing, if you're a Baal Tefillah, for example, and there are people standing close to you, than if you're blowing the shofar. But I'm, I'm all in favor of doing what, you know, God forbid people should be at all uncomfortable uh, at a time like this. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not criticizing or making light of the issue, not at all. Please, you know, don't get that idea. Um, and yeah, so according to the OU, they've said, you know, you can put the, you can put the mask over the bell of the shofar. Again, you just put a rubber band around it, it should stay in place. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Who's next? Volunteers going once, going twice. All right, so I, I do have okay. a shofar. I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm a little afraid of freaking out the baby, as I learned on the first of Elul. Um, so if you have any tips for that. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll send the baby shot. to the in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> if she starts crying, I'll stop. It could also be a critique on how badly I'm doing. <laughs> She started crying. Okay. I hear that. Uh, but you got a nice, you have a nice strong sound there. All right. Thank you. Oh, have you been practicing or have you blown shofar before? Um, I mean, a little bit here and there, kind of just tinkering around, but never like formally or anything. Just okay. More or less playing. So maybe this year? Yeah. That's how that sounds. No, this, like, you got a very, you got a very nice, clear, strong sound out of it. So it's a good combination of the shofar blower and the instrument itself. Onward and upward. Hugh, are you uh, are you waving yeah. your shofar over there? Sure, sure. First time today, ever. I was happy I got a sound. It's all good. You got a sound. Listen, yeah. all sounds are kosher. Okay. Um, yeah. By the way, so, you know, I don't have a sleeping baby in my apartment, but I do have neighbors. And as I said, I blow like, you know, two or 300, like 300 call out a day. Okay. So even though I hear other people practicing shofar, first of all, I flatter myself by thinking that my shofar blowing is louder than most other people's. Um, however, I found a great, this is a very important um, a technology. I'm letting you all in on a technology technological secret here. There's a great technological advancement called socks. Exhibit A, shofar, a very loud instrument. Exhibit B, a sock. In the bell of the shofar. You can practice and your neighbors won't complain. I, I can't tell you about the baby sleeping in the next room, but you know, with the sock, without the sock, QED. Okay. Um, larger Does it make shofar? it harder to blow? Does it make it harder to blow with the sock inside? Uh, you know, so it does a little bit. And I will tell you also my own practicing secret, which is that when I'm practicing, I try, because I don't want to really like, you know, turn bright red in the face, you know, 300 times every day while I'm practicing. Um, while I'm practicing, I try to make some space in the corner of my mouth to let air, to let the air pressure out a little bit. So I don't know if you could if you could see or hear that, but so it's actually air escaping the side of my mouth, which puts a little less pressure on my you know 
on my, uh, my internal organs. Uh, actually, the very last year of what was then the Drisha Minyan, I had a detached retina and I had to have a procedure to have it reattached, um, which was in May. Um, and one of the doctors in the practice where I had it done was, uh, in addition to being a medical doctor and an eye specialist, he also had smicha from Lakewood. So I said to him, uh, you know, I'm glad that I got this done now because I have to blow shofar this Rosh Hashanah. He said, no, you're not. I said, no, but I've got a few months. He said, next year. Um, because the, the pressure, they build there. So there's real pressure that does build up inside of one's pulmonary, inside of your lungs, inside of your whole breathing system and inside your head. Okay. So yes, there's pressure. It's real. Um, so can you pass out from blowing the shofar? Maybe. Uh, so you have a question. Yes. Uh, just make sure it's a clean sock, not a dirty sock. Ah, thank you. A good point. Yes. These are laundered. <laughs> um, and by the way, you can use any color. <laughs> There's no requirement. Those of you who come, if you live in a firmer neighborhood, you may want to use just plain black. Um, <laughs> but um, actually, you know, so yeah, tricks, tricks of the trade. Um, what can I tell you? Um, if you have not acquired a shofar yet, I urge you to try to find something, like I said, it should be something that you can hold comfortably. Should be something that um, perhaps counterintuitively, these larger shofar are sometimes easier to blow precisely because they often end up with a larger and more even mouth hole. Okay, so there also, there are different um, pitches that you can get out of the shofar. Most most ballet okay will tell you that that lower sound, especially on the on the larger the kudu horn, is the authentic shofar sound. Which is a good thing for me because that's the easiest one to make. Okay, um, so that's that's kind of the basics. Um, I would like to ask if anybody has any questions or any uh, observations that you want to share. And um, there'll be plenty more to talk about and plenty more to do. Is there a uh, time you use for like a, a takia? Like it should be X amount of seconds? So the takia, again, this is like, like, this is like really the basic, the most important uh, part of counting, okay? Mm. There are the takia, shvarim, shrua, takia or tikiya shvaram tikiya, tikiya trua tikiya. The tikiya has to be as long as or longer than what's in between it. So what I do is I basically kind of just tap my foot and count beats, right? So again, let's do this again. Like the shvaram and trua, let's go shvariyim trua. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. So you're going to go to Kia, three, four, five, six. Is that help? Yeah, I got it. That answers that is there a, I mean, suppose a person, did a, suppose a person did a uh, Takia for half a second. I mean, is, is there an absolute minimum shear or? Uh, you know, I would say it's, again, it's, you, you're not going to, you, if you do it to Kia for half a second, you're going to have to redo it. Yeah, okay. Okay. I guess the bigger question is, is there a minimum length for the Shvarim and the Truas? They, they need to be distinguishable. It's really, the really the key is making each of the different Kolot clearly distinguishable for what it is and what it's supposed to be okay so some people especially if you've like if you've trained as like a trumpet player you know you're gonna have a faster uh a faster uh uh tonguing technique right so mine is not all that fast so i can't you know i can't go i can't go right um so my 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 uh my throat is like the fastest i can do it is like you know 
So I'm stuck with that, right? Um, and that's that's kind of like the basic unit of measurement, is the is the truah, right? Again, because Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Truah, so we're gonna go like. And again, you should do at least nine individual kolot uh, for the truah, and they must be distinct. You can't go like. No, you know. So. has to be as long as or longer than what's in between it okay um it's it's helpful if you have a if you get somebody to call the call out for you a mockery somebody who will stand there with a stopwatch uh or with a watch with a you know second hand and count um I, i would say that if you're practicing every day from now until rosh hashanah and you're just kind of beating out the rhythm with you know like tapping your foot or just kind of bouncing your head and counting, you get the rhythm down. Um, you get, you get, I, you know, you get pretty good at judging when, you know, how long your tikkias need to be. Um, other questions, please. There is a question that was posted in the chat from Ruth. Uh, she, she writes that I have heard Teruah as seven or nine notes. And you said earlier, as many as you want, how does one decide? I would say from me, it should be nine. It could be 10. It shouldn't be fewer than nine. Because in my experience, most people that I blow shofar for, um, the Teruah is where they, is where people come to me and say, you know, I, uh, maybe you should do it a little differently or you know there wasn't enough there wasn't enough beep beep beeps or they weren't clear enough or and, and by the way so again that's that's kind of like let's focus on the trua for a minute right you don't want to slide into it or out of it you don't want to go like You don't want to. Yeah, I'm. I'm not blowing so loud because it's. Uh, it's. It's quarter eight in the evening here, and I'm having a little bit of rachmanus on my neighbors. But um, the trua again. I would say nine or ten. You don't want to do too many because then the more you do that, the longer your tikkias have to be, right? And lemafreya, right? Retroactively, if you dwell too long on the on the trua then you have to go back and redo the first tikkiah because it may not have been long enough, right? So I would say do nine, do 10. Don't need to do more than 10. I would not do, I would not do fewer than nine because as again, as I say, that's uh, in my experience, that's what people quote unquote are used to, what they listen for. Two questions. Please. Okay, first question. Uh, I don't know if there's basis for it or not, but growing up, uh, up until my early teen years, the baltokea always kind of hid the shofar between sets. Right. Is there a basis for that? You know, there's a, I mean, this is all minhag. Okay. Right? Um, which, is, which is not to dismiss it, not to make light of it. Uh, you know, so, the, I mean, my personal minhag from, you know, from when I started blowing shofar at the very, all the way back to the very beginning is to keep the shofar under my talit while I made the brachas and to actually kind of kind of bend down, get the shofar in place and come up and blow that first tekiah so that the, ideally so that the sound comes out before people actually see the, the shofar. Right. Is it, you know, the shofar is, I mean, where does the shofar come from? Where's the first place that we, that we hear the shofar? Outside. We hear it at, at, at you know, at, at Matan Torah, right? There's nothing more powerful than the sound of the shofar. I mean, that's, you know, that literally blew us away, okay? 
Um, and it says, you know, that they saw the sounds. And yeah, so there's this whole, you know, uh, there's a whole mystical aspect of seeing the shofar, hearing the shofar, hearing the shofar, seeing the shofar. Um, there is a, I mean, the way that the way that we always did it at Drisha, the way that we always did it at at, at Drisha was that um, the Makri did not call the first Takiya. right? Because we, again, I'm not asking for anybody, but we consider that an interruption between making the bracha and performing the mitzvah of hearing the shofar, right? Again, right, the mitzvah is, we're going to talk, Bezrat Hashem, we're going to talk more about some of these other concepts next time, but the mitzvah is not to blow the shofar. It's to hear the shofar, okay? However, you know, catch 22 or catch 613, right? If nobody blows the shofar, then nobody can hear the shofar. Ha! That's where we all come in. Oh, Hashem. Okay. So we, we are actually, it's a, the, the bracha of being the person who blows the shofar is to me, it's, it's such an amazing, it's, it's such an amazingly high and amazingly powerful bracha because what I'm doing is I'm not even performing a mitzvah. What I'm doing is I'm, I am, I am the kli that brings the mitzvah into this world. Tremendous bracha. Sorry. You're facilitating the bracha, the, uh, the yeah. mitzvah. Yeah. My second question, uh, also when I was younger, I was told not to practice at night. I don't know if that's because of disturbing people or for some other basis. It's because you're either going to wake up the neighbors or you're going to wake up the shadim. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I wouldn't practice at night. But I mean, in New York City, you have like, you know, by if you blow the chauffeur after nine o'clock, they can call the cops on you, right? Right. So, you know. Um, but you know, just to go back to yes, and there was a there's also a custom, which which uh, which I always followed to cover the shofar in between times that it was being blown. Thank yes. you very much. No, um, we've got what about five six minutes left. Um, a question, please. Um, the minor trills that might come on the blast. So I had learned originally to do them or that they were not an impediment to anything. I occasionally get a comment that the sounds are preferably uh, flatter. Um, what comment do you have on that? Can you like make a sound so that I know what you're talking about, either with just singing it or do it on the shofar? I will, I will. You're, you're, you're the one who can handle this without a shofar, I cannot. Okay, so you're talking about like the, the that little yeah. kind of grace note at the end. Okay, so I would say, first of all, remember, all sounds are kosher. The most important part of it, and by the way, this is something that I do not do personally, but I know that there are many people who blow like a and that's a minhag, that's a, you know, that's a perfectly good minhag. If that's your if that's your custom, if that's the way that you either learned or grew up listening to, or you want to be able to build a shofar that way, that's great. For me personally, um, we've Rav David always preferred to have the tekiot be kind of pure and straight, without that little, without those little uh, kind of you know grace notes at the end. Um, he very rarely made me repeat because of it, but sometimes he would make a face. Sometimes he'd go, <laughs> you know, they get that kind of, mm, like, okay, I, I got the message. <laughs> um, really kind of, if you're, uh, you know, if you really want to kind of let your hair down, you know, if you, if you, you know, get in touch with your inner jazz musician, if you're in a Dizzy Gillespie, right? Um, the place that you can let loose is with the Shvarim. Because uh, that's where you want to kind of be able to, you know, squeeze it. Right. So the shvarim, because the shvarim is like a, it is actually a, a, a kind of a moaning and a sighing, sobbing 
sound. Um, however, if all you do is just blow all the kolot straight, gewalt. Do that a hundred times, and amazing. You'll you'll bring down all kinds of all kinds of malachim from Shemayim. Um, please. This year, I think it's sixty, not a hundred. Uh, well, we're doing so in our group. We're doing. I mean, Bezrat Hashem, I'll be blowing a hundred in the minyan. But then the the like we have a Baruch Hashem, we have like a team of about twenty, maybe a few, maybe more than twenty, Balotakeya uh, who are going to be walking around Yerushalayim blowing shofar. On top of which, there are other groups. There's the different Chabads who've got some people going out, and some of the other shuls are sending their Balotakeya out at least to blow like once or twice in public after the minyan. Um, in our group, we're doing 30 kolot, which is one time this sheet. So it's three sets of tashrat, three sets of tashat, three sets of tarat, and tekiyagadol at the end. Um, in terms of making the bracha, if you're blowing for somebody, if you either hear the shofar or blow the shofar yourself in the minyan, you will make the brachot, um, lishmoa and shechianu, right? If you're blowing shofar for other people who have not heard shofar, then most poskim that I'm familiar with, and again, I'm not poskining for anybody, ask your local rabbi, um, seriously, uh, most poskim that I'm familiar with would say the Baal Tokea should say the brachot for anybody else who's listening who has not either not heard the bracha or has not completed, heard the full at least 30 kolot. Um, by the way, the bracha is not le'ukuva, right? If you hear the shofar without hearing the bracha, you still have completely uh, observed the mitzvah of hearing the, the shofar, right? So the most important part of it actually is that the baltokea has to have the kavana, has to have it in mind that you are blowing the shofar for everybody who needs to hear it so that they will be able to fulfill the mitzvah of hearing the shofar. And to me, that's like one of the biggest challenges, is keeping, keeping that in mind. So, and as far as I understand it, it's, it's like with the Amidah. You know, we have to have Kavana for the first brachot. We have to have at least Kavana for the, when we make the brachot and for that first tikiyah. We have to have the, the Kavana, we have to have the clear intention that we're blowing the shofar in order to enable other people to fulfill the mitzvah. And there's... And, and so, you know, again, if we have that kavana, whether or not we make a bracha, you know, if you go out into a public place and you're not sure who's there, who's not there, whatever, you blow the shofar. Okay, there's, by the way, there's no prohibition against blowing the shofar more than just for your minion, as long as you have reason to believe that there may be somebody else who needs to hear it. Okay, after, after blowing shofar, the second day of Rosh Hashanah, like, you know, you don't practice anymore. You can practice, I mean, this is, again, is getting into like you know inside baseball about the about the halachas of the shofar, but you know we can practice before, we can practice any time that there is somebody else who needs to hear the shofar, but once you're finished, you don't want to just kind of, it's not a. You're not going to play the St. Louis Blues on the shofar, you know, sitting around at home at, uh, in the afternoon of Rosh Hashanah. Um, question. I have a question. So on my shofar, there's like some, just from like use, I guess there's these like little like indent marks. Uh -huh. um, is that a problem? I hope you could see, yeah, um, I see them. Like, of keeping it a kosher shofar, is that? So it's only gonna be a problem if they wear all the way through and there's a hole, but just, you know, no, that's, it's, it's, you know, it means that it's been used. It's Beautiful, not... right? But it doesn't go all the way through, right? No, it doesn't, just some. No. Particular side that I'm showing. Okay. Beautiful. So can can we can I ask you to blow that so we can hear what it sounds like? I haven't <laughs> I haven't practiced in <laughs> a while. <laughs> well, this is this is a safe space as far as shofar blowing is concerned. Maybe I'll come I'm back sorry, next week. Sorry. Maybe I'll come back next week and. Uh... Please. Okay. So what I really want to what I really want to impress upon everybody is seriously like if I can do this. You can do this. What I, I guarantee it, okay? Men, women, boys and girls, and children of all ages, right? Seriously, what it really takes is you've got to get over that initial 
you know, the first time you blow it, you say, oh, it sounds terrible. Second time you blow it, you say, oh, it sounds terrible. And, and most of us, most of the time with most of these type of challenges, we're going to try it for 20 or 30 minutes and we're going to say, oh, I can't do it. And then we're not going to come back to it. But I guarantee if you sustain and work at it, make that first 20 minutes into 40 minutes and make that 40 minutes on Sunday into 40 minutes on Monday into 40 minutes on Tuesday and back it up with some breathing exercises so that you start to get more, more uh, wind capacity so that you start to get more breath control and by the way you don't need a shofar to practice what you you want to strengthen your lips right so <laughs> practice on shabbat okay um really you, it's it's it comes down to it, if you if we don't work on building up our lips, what's going to happen is you know halfway through blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, our, our lip is just going to give out completely. Last secret, in between blowing, and I discovered many years later that people have been making fun of me for this all along. <laughs> in between blowing, you want to relax the lips, just loose and. It, okay, it, it, it loosens it up, it, it loosens the muscles, it, give, it gets a little blood flowing a little bit more. Um, maybe next time I'll tell about the time that we had, uh, uh, we had Rav David and Devorah and all their kids at our Shabbos table and, and all the kids sat around going <laughs> because listen, they all grew up listening to me blow the shofar. <laughs> um, I want to thank you all for participating. Please practice, practice, practice. You know, like how do you get to Carnegie Hall, right? This is the same thing. How do you get to, you know, Share Shamaim? Okay. We all have the opportunity this year, Basad Hashem. I mean, in a sense, I'm in a sense to me, I'm looking at this Rosh Hashanah here in Yerushalayim could be the most memorable Rosh Hashanah for many, many, many people's lives. Because I have a vision that there will be hundreds of people out in the streets of Yerushalayim blowing the shofar from 11 o'clock in the morning until six, seven o'clock, until the very last minutes of, of that second day of Rosh Hashanah. And it's only one day this year. And I just, I have a vision. As I have, I have a dream. I really have a vision that this, that this is gonna happen. Um, so my bracha for us all is that each one of us should be able on Rosh Hashanah to blow these 30 kolot, to have in mind that we're doing this mitzvah, that we are enabling other people. We're doing the mitzvah, not of blowing the shofar. We're doing the mitzvah of enabling other people to perform the mitzvah of hearing the shofar. And that kind of being able to be in service to other people, you know, the Piyat Rebbe says that the greatest thing that a human being can do in life, no matter who you are, no matter how high you are, no matter what, what it is that you do with the, in your life, the most important thing that a human being can do in life is to do something to do a favor for another person. And we're here, I mean, this is my, my personal shita, it's very simple, right? God made more than one human being. And why did God make more than one of us? Obviously, because we're meant to do something with each other. I don't think it's kill each other. Therefore, it's, we're here to help each other. We're here to serve each other. We're here to relieve each other's suffering. We're here to do what we can to make each other person's life a little bit better. There's nobody whose life is so wonderful that we can't do something to help to make it a little bit better. And there's nobody whose life is so miserable that we can't do something to help to relieve that misery. And to be able to... to to, all you have to do is spend a half hour to an hour a day from now until Rosh Hashanah practicing the shofar, and you will be able to enable another person to do a mitzvah. And who knows, but for one of us here, there, might, there was some Jew somewhere in the world who would not have heard the shofar except for, except for what we're doing here tonight. So God bless you all, really. God bless all of us. I might give us all a bracha that we should be blowing the shofar this year, next year, and for many, many years to come. Thank you so much. And Bezrat Hashem, we'll see you next week. Amen. Bezrat Hashem. Thank you so much, Thank you also for everyone who is joining us today on Zoom and on Risha Live and on Facebook. So tomorrow afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're going to continue our Elul programs with part two 
of Rabbi Dr. Ariel Evan Mays' class on Hasidism and Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Zuckier's lecture on the atonement of Yom Kippur. And that's at 1 and 8 p.m. respectively. If you're interested in classes in Hebrew, I know some of you might be calling in from your Yerushalayim. Um, Drisha's Beit Midrash in Israel has a whole lineup starting next week. Information can be found on our website, www.drisha.org forward slash Israel. And for these classes and others, if you still haven't registered, there's, there's still time. So visit our site, www.drisha.org forward slash classes. The Zoom links, the Facebook Live links, the Drisha Live links, they're all posted in each class. Uh, thank you again, Rabbi Silver. We're happy to have had this opportunity to learn the shofar techniques with you. I'm looking thank forward you, to next week. For, and uh, Thank you for overseeing this very masterful. Oh, it's my really pleasure. It. My pleasure. I look forward to seeing you and I guess everyone here today, hopefully others, um, and next week's session, same time, same place, and maybe even sooner in our up other upcoming classes. Have a wonderful rest of your day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Rabbi Silver, thank you.